It's episode 654. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's You know a how good people one. always have that time that they look at the phone? Yes. 11 11. What's yours? Make a wish. Yeah, that's not mine. What is yours? Mine for every every day is 234. Oh, every that's now a and good then one. I'll catch 234. <laughs> every now and then. Yeah, it'll be like 230. And what that's I like understand place, is though. what we do is we like uh, in this it's very Pavlovian. I mean like you train your brain to look at the phone at that time of day. And then when you see it that, Oh, that's a number that, that then you get little good feelings. So then your body kind of remembers and it picks up the phone at those similar times of day. It's not like, you know, anything. Oh my God. I look at the clock. Every, well, yeah. Cause you're kind of training yourself by, by creating a habit of looking. At yeah, the phone that's every true. Day. Your brain not, knows. Our, yes. But um, I do like seeing it. It tells me to keep going. Before, <laughs> before we started, I was going to take cold medicine cause I have a sniffles and Sarah was like, okay, let's wait until you take them. I'm like, it's fine. Just push record and I'll do it. Well, and then they rolled off the table onto the floor. So I have to, you know, go this get is them. like, this is like, go get them, go get them. This reminds me very much of like that, that song, like on top of a smoky, all covered with okay, cheese. I lost my poor meatball. You probably had no idea what when I was doing. Somebody, so somebody sneeze. sneeze. Right. That's, 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 a, that's a real good hit, that one. Okay. See, um, you would love camp. Oh, yeah. Okay. You sing that one? That falls into the camp song category, Susie Meister. I love it. Okay. You're so talking me I into think it. I like it. I think she plays the banjo. Come on. Maybe like <laughs> maybe that lady that was mad at me that left the mean review about how like I'm mean about camp, maybe she will see that I'm coming around on it. I had a little giggle to myself just this morning about your comment on, uh, uh, what is it? Like the game of Thrones. Like I, I don't call it anything other than dragon games. I have no idea what the real show is called, (laughs) but when I like whatever it's called house of dragons or something like that. And, uh, and, uh, when you were like, is that, like, I said, it's so good. And you're like, is it? Or whatever. <laughs> like, I had another giggle about that. Because I was like, Susie poo-pooing. Yeah, like, there is like, absolutely no way. hits. Like, like major things hits. that are, like, literally the greatest show. Like, arguably, like, like by all critics, like, the most popular show and well-liked show of all time. So he's like, is it really, though? Is it? Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> and, like, just my favorite. I keep trying to tell everybody that I'm Larry David. And I think... Cause that's what he would do. He like, if, even if everyone loves something, he's like, eh, I don't know. But yeah. I think people really started to see it whenever I told that story about how I almost got arrested over crepes. Yes. <laughs> that is it. Right. You are. To- I mean, I can't believe it. Yes. I think people were like, Oh, this is all, is. this is, this is the funny thing. You pretend <laughs> like I'm the one with the crazy stories on here. Meanwhile, you're the one who was the school mascot? Yeah, right, right, right. Wrote fan letters to real world, like, or to like, yeah, that challenge is true. people, or not challenge people, what the fuck, road rules people that like got you cast on television. The things that you've experienced. Okay. Didn't even have Halloween, just had harvest parties. Come on. I think part of why your stories are always bonkers is because, like, mine, I sort of invite. Like, if I'm going to walk out on paying a tab or, like, send a fan letter, like, it, uh-huh. you're inviting chaos. Yours are just, like, shit just happens to you. This may be true. And that's the part that I'm like, what is that? 
that you're just being on this earth attracts the chaos without you doing just anything. Agent of cha- right. I'm not an agent of chaos. I am just like, an you know those people who get hit by lightning like three yeah, times? Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck yeah. is up with that person? Yes. Stop running wherever you're running. Like, you know, like this is me. This is like, I'm like, how come I keep getting hit by lightning? Can you stop? <laughs> yes. And then, and like also, I know when my stories are crazy, you'll just tell a story yeah. as if it's normal this and it's true. like oh yeah didn't i tell you that i babysat darth vader whatever his name is like from I mean, anakin skywalker <laughs> but you know <laughs> well maybe vader someday later which then became darth yes, yes. right yes. yes a young darth vader like yes. sarah will be like oh yeah didn't i tell you I, I babysat him growing up or i mean if is maybe vader someday later like an actual thing yeah because if it's not Okay, it's I was from Weird say, Al. Some rapper needs to take that and put that in some bars because that shit is fire. That's the American Pie remake by Weird Al. Maybe Vader someday later. Oh, now he's just funny. a small I go fry. straight to like hip hop. Oh, he's like it was in Weird Al. Yeah, no, not hip hop. Who? Yeah, who really should go to camp? Um. Okay, let me um do the right thing. Number one, and say later. Vader later, uh, <laughs> there will be an interview in this episode with um, Ralphie Rodriguez, who is in Menudo. And oh, this is great! Yes, I got to talk to him about the docu series on HBO. Yes, and uh, what it was like being in Menudo, and then like dealing with the weirdness of, um, you know, how it wasn't a positive experience. Like the Svengali that was running the show was, uh, you know, there was abuses and things that went on that were very Mm -hmm. terrible. And Mm -hmm. I know this sounds crazy or maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I very much connect to the idea of um, how you take the good and the bad and they don't cancel each other out. So it's like the challenge for us where, you know, so many good things came out of it for us. We met each other. I met my husband. We won money. We got to travel, whatever. But then there's also these bad things and you have to like reconcile those two completely separate experiences. And both of them are true at the same time. It's kind of like a relationship that helps you grow, but you don't end up together. Yeah. And you got to you know? just like have enjoy the good memories, but also yeah. learn from it and maybe like yeah. accept that some of it was really terrible and um, traumatic. Yeah. Okay. So that's coming up later. Cool. I also wanted to do what I said I was going to do with, which was read a nice review that people left for us. <gasps> yeah. Because we want to like incentivize good reviews, ah, not just. So comment on these mean people right you say i sound like a shrieking whatever banshee or you know whatever they say it's fine i don't care well the, on our show uh, there was remember there was people very oh yes. very mean about your stammer uh uh uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah i remember thank you to mass cph who said, okay. this is my go-to podcast. Every episode, I learn something, I laugh about something, and sometimes I cry because I can relate with something they have said. I love their hearts and their personalities. Thank you, ladies. Oh, I'm going to cry. I it's so that. nice. Um, That's exactly what we wanted to do. Make you laugh and learn and sometimes cry. Yeah, because it's the whole range of human experience. You know? Yes. Beautiful. The whole deal. 
carbing person. I'm going to read one each week because there are so many nice ones. Sarah, you, honest to God, they're so nice. This is going to be my new favorite segment. Yeah, because yes. I really do want to reward people that take the time out of their day to help us and it's meaningful yeah. and nice. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, when we have our, uh, our book club and we, you know, it almost feels like a small group because we really get to know the people who are like our patrons and like, you know, the members of like our brain candy brainiac kind of like community that join all of our live stuff and things like that. Yeah. So in my mind, I, I, it's hard for me to really recognize how, big this yes. brain candy listener community is and in my mind i'm like oh yeah there's like 30 of us and we get together and hang out I so totally like shout out to the 30 of you who listen or whatever yeah and like there's more i mean it's like but obviously but you know yes this is this is it's just so wonderful when um we hear from you guys yeah you're so right I forget. Though. it's yeah. just us what am i like it's just me over here like yeah, it feels into like this intimate little group because that's who yeah. tends to always get involved and chat with us. But there's thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. It's very cool. Also, if you're on the fence of joining any of our groups and you're wondering, like, will I actually get to talk to Susie let this, or Sarah? Let this be uh, uh Oh, see, now I'm doing the uh-uh uh, thing. <laughs> let this, let, let this uh, show you that, yeah, we get to know the people in our groups oh, real well. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, they our become book our club, best our documentary club, in our lives—it's so much fun. I mean, those gals are like family. Yeah, gals and guys, gals and guys. It really feels like that in my my toughest times. <gasps> oh, crap! I think about it. I think all of them have had moments like that too because it's been so long. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think especially through COVID too. Like, yeah, we—that was a real something we could count on. Like, we're gonna meet, we're gonna chat, have a laugh, yep. have a cry, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real blessing. Everybody yes. has to je- definitely join. And one of our favorite things to do is we are get extra silly. And then at some point we'll say, for all you new members, and for if this is your first time, it's not usually like this. But it's always, it's always, like it's always weird. <laughs> it's the best part. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay. First up... um. I wanted to say that on Discovery Plus, I watched the documentary that was about the who it was, I think it was called "Who Killed Tupac and Biggie." Oh wow! Okay, which again, that's more yeah. your wheelhouse, but right. because it's a documentary, I'm going in. Yep, yep, <laughs> it's a crossover. So you probably already know a lot about these things, but I mean, the real takeaway was that everybody knows who did it. 
who did them. Believe it or not, I don't know a lot because I was young when this was, I, I want to say I was like 11 or 12 when it happened. So I was kind of yeah. shielded from what was really, you know, my parents was, were letting me listen to hip hop of the, uh, you know, not the explicit version. I had to always get <laughs> parental the advisory. Parental yeah, advisory. Yeah, thanks, one. Tipper Gore. Golly, that was stupid. It's always edited. So much bleeping. I don't even know what they're saying. So, anyways, I was not. I wasn't really aware of what was going on in that world. Well, I mean, obviously, the narrative has always been like it was sort of an eye for an eye situation, and that there was this rivalry. And then, um, uh, let's see. Who was first? I think it was Tupac and then Biggie. But regardless, the takeaway is the LAPD knows who did it, but the um, rot, it, like the call is coming from inside the house. The, the LAPD were involved <gasps> in the shootings, so they aren't ever going to say who. I did not know that. Yeah. It's still unsolved, like quote unquote unsolved? Yes. Stop it. Yeah, both of them. I had no idea. Yeah. And so that's fucked up. It really is because what like high profile cases are just besides like come Natalie Wood or whatever, you know, there's not. So that was crazy. But the reason I bring it up is because, you know, this thing that people talk about with Tupac about how he was not the stereotype in terms of his education. Like he went to a private it wasn't Juilliard, but it was some performing arts mm-hmm. school. And mm-hmm. he had like this private fancy education. He took ballet. He like wrote poetry and learned yeah, Shakespeare so and all this stuff. And it's really cool. And I always bought into that idea that like this is a guy who is misrepresentative. He's deep and thoughtful, which I guess he was. But it just bummed me out how basically after he graduated and then started like rap being in the hip hop community, he really embraced sort of like the, the harsher parts of the community and really Mm -hmm. developed that part of him, like that persona. And it just made me sad. I feel like that was a prod. We have to kind of look at the system. Okay. One of, one of the, one of my favorite documentaries is called tough guys. And it's, I still have to watch that. It is so good. So in it, he talks about the portrayal of black men in hip hop in that era. Oh, okay. And what the uh, uh, production, um, what music producers, what the music producers and what those labels were marketing yeah. and what they were telling them to be. And what they were telling them was uh, what consumers wanted was that image. So one of like the images that he broke down was uh, there was a cover that 50 Cent did in like a bulletproof vest and how like certain things got and what the original images were and then what that one was and like what they chose for the album covers. And I think that that might have been something that was pushed by... Yeah. Record labels, which are owned by fucking white guys. Like, well, and that is definitely the case. In in Tupac's case, he was on Death Row Records, which was Suge Knight, 
which mm-hmm. is not a white guy, but I fucking love everything that ju- can we get a sound clip of that, please? Can, please, this might be my, but I can't believe that <gasps> Susie is educating us on hip hop. This is the best. I love it. This okay. is what this is really soundbite that, a testimonial please. about the why documentaries are so awesome. Yeah, because yes, because you're getting to yeah. exposed to a culture that you would you have been before. Yeah. Like what's I don't, I don't even care. get it. Yeah, what? and now she's like, if you understand <laughs> that Tupac was on Death Row Records, which is Suge Knight's record. I mean, come on, what just happened there? This is my favorite. <laughs> That's it. Susie's getting a hip hop collection <laughs> for Christmas. No, I do. I do find it very interesting to learn these subcultures that I'm not connected to because they are important and consequential culturally. Yes, it just ha- yes. doesn't happen to be my particular musical style. But um, I'm sure that you're right that even though um, Suge Knight happens to be a black guy, that sort of... Oh, t- I mean bigger than that. I mean like bigger than this. I mean like... Who owns Atlantic record? Yes, they are the like Clive Davis or something. Yes, yeah. that this Arista is records. this is like you're you're right, but but I think the the like the overarching <sighs> yes. marketing stuff it just trickles down, and yes. so they all are expected yes. to portray themselves yes. in a certain way. Yeah, I think yes. that makes and sense. and there are exceptions. You know, there are there be, and and. I think when you look at the exceptions and the way those people are marketed or pushed and, and promoted, it's different. It's it you can see. It's almost like this is this is what the documentary that uh, Tough Guys and it's G U I, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, documentary points out that the consumer of a lot of this hip hop are young white men and right like, and portraying that specific image to young white men is what is the fucked up is going on it's like the underground hip-hop that is often consumed by not the masses Mm -hmm. and i'm like more members of of the same community yeah is more uplifting yes right and like like uh um what do they call it what is it called uh it's like common and most deaf. There's like a name for it. It's called something hip hop. I can't remember, but it's something like that. It's like yeah, co- conscious hip hop. Oh, that's cool. I like mm-hmm. that. Well, yeah. and there's different eras too. I know things yeah. evolve and change and whatever. It just made me real sad because, um, well, they were so young and they were so yeah, talented. That's true. And, um, you know, Biggie's mom, I'm sure you've seen her over the years. Like, she is so cute. And um, both of their moms were just, like, really, really nice ladies. And it's just a sad thing that this all – they they got involved in something bigger than them. It was more than just these two people. It was just, like, a system. This is – it's a system. What a mess. But I – if you're interested in that stuff – People might like that documentary series. Um, that's on Discovery Plus. Super cool. Yeah. Um, also, if you do... Well, now I have a Discovery Plus membership or whatever, thanks to that Army Hammer documentary. Yeah, Holy it had fuck. to happen. Which, by the way, 
I was watching all the football games last. Uh, I went to a sports bar and watched like all day. All I'm the football so sorry games. to hear that. It was super fun. No, it was oh, great. Okay. I drank Aperol spritzes and got tipsy and had the best time ever. <laughs> and uh, uh, and then I wore a shirt that said "Rooting for the commercials." <laughs> And walked around That's the sports bar and I was like, Eli, do you think people are mad or think this no. is cool? The women think it was cool. The guys were like, hmm, yeah, hmm. you're taking you're my chair at the bar and you're not even, you don't even care. And next week I'm going to have a shirt that says, I just hope everybody has fun. <laughs> everybody should just have a nice time. Get yeah. along. You should hear me at this word. I'm always like, That's don't do, don't be mean. I like yell that because there's too much fighting. I do. There's, there's too, too much, much fighting, fighting in sports. There is. It's too, it's very bad. Um um. What was I saying about this? Now, now I don't even remember. I don't We're know about football. I, We're talking about. Um, I was just gonna I got way off course. <laughs> Maybe it'll come to you. I was just gonna say that if you are somebody that likes learning, whether it's from documentaries or otherwise, you will love Masterclass. I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh. Yeah, yes. man. I, I highly recommend the gardening course. Oh, okay. <sighs> I've been a member of Masterclass for years. Adam got it for me for my anniversary one year. And it was like the best gift ever because it's just all the things I love, which is just like yes. experts telling you what they know. Yes. My favorite, I would have to say, is uh, David Sedaris, which we've read <gasps> him in our He's book got, club. I haven't even seen that one. It's so adorable. And like, you remember the <sighs> book club, the, there were a couple people who like just didn't understand David Sedaris, but like he speaks my language. Yeah. Yeah. He grew up in a similar situation that, to me. And so his approach to writing and humor is very, you know, it's, I connect to oh, it. what a fun one to listen to. Yeah. And he's Watch. telling you like, here's how I come up with my essays. Here's how I come up with my ideas. And you feel like, how am I getting to watch these core, you know, these, these lessons from these guys. Um, and they have everything like Sarah said, there's gardening, there's cooking, there's singing, there's, um, movie filmmaking. I mean, just everything. And masterclass is just what it sounds like. I mean, these are the masters. These are people that are excellent. They have cooking classes, um, with Thomas Keller and Gordon Ramsay, you know, Alicia Keys is teaching you music, the best of the best are on here and you can learn so much from them. And even more than that, for me, it's about like just being inspired. I've always been really inspired by excellence, people that are the best in their field. And so even if you just are watching to get inspired, I think it is phenomenal. I highly recommend you check it out. You can get unlimited access to every class. And as a Brain Candy listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash candy now. That's masterclass.com slash candy for 15% off Masterclass. This would be a great gift like Adam got me yep. for my anniversary. Lucas, my little brother, got it for me for Christmas. No. Yeah, years ago. I love it too. That is I also so love cool. the salsa one. There's a one that you wear and makes good, really good salsa. It's <laughs> a great one. It's just, you can like access it from your phone or your or smart TV or whatever. And you, there's just every kind of oh, outdoor survival. I watched that one before I went on my survival trip, my outdoor backpacking trip about a year ago. Yeah. That's awesome. They have celebrity chefs. They have, um, you know, filmmakers that all these yeah. people that you would know, writers that you would know. And, and it's just fun to learn. Anyway, check them out. 
like I said, masterclass.com slash candy. Okay. Uh, I remembered what I was going to say. Yes. We were talking about the Army Hammer documentary. Yeah. Uh, when I was at that sports bar watching all the football games, I probably saw the commercial for that documentary 30 plus times. Oh, wow. They heavy advertised it during all the football games. So I feel like, I don't know, people are going to oh. know about that shit. What that kind, was like, I saw it so many times, you know, well, on I hope like those, every channel. I hope guys will watch it too. I thought that was interesting too, right? Yeah. It wasn't. And then I had told Eli the story, but he didn't put together who it was. Oh, and yeah. then when he saw the commercial, he goes, wait a sec. Weren't you telling me about this? That's the guy you were talking about? And I was like, yep. So I think a bunch of people are, are going to be like, get wise to what the fuck is going on with that dude. Remember when my sister's husband thought it was MC Hammer? <laughs> so funny. Okay. Look it. Some people confuse serial killers. It just happens. <laughs> right. You're like, I don't judge. I don't judge. Um, okay. So here's the thing. I hate any kind Fred of... Fred Durst, Robert Durst. <laughs> I hate any kind of like hazing. Any, like fraternities. Oh, yeah. yeah. Whatever. And there was an article... Ooh, tis the season. Oh, that's true. There was an article, though, in the New York Times, and it was about the freaking Navy SEALs. Uh-oh. It was so disturbing. And Okay. Like, okay. Just when I thought, well, I know what this is all about. I'm going to okay. read it, but, like, I know the gist. It, the article kept getting more upsetting to me. What were you going to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm just making myself a note so that I don't interrupt you. Oh, no, um, no. Well, you don't um, have, You can interrupt. Oh, okay. Well, people don't like that. I read in reviews. Um, so, uh, uh, I can understand the cycle, like the, the benefits for group mentality of what hazing in, like what they're trying to accomplish and what it does. It's, you can see why it's a part of it. People become trauma bonded in a way. They become connected by a shared experience of getting through something that they thought they couldn't do. If you think about anybody, like I always think back to, uh, or or in my mind, it goes to the movie. um, This is going to sound like such a fucking funny reference. Speed 2. Okay. There's a scene in Speed 2. Yes, the one with Sandra Bullock and... Is oh my this God, the one with a Keanu boat? Reeves. Oh. I, I think... I, may, I don't know. That must be Speed but 3. There's there. there's a scene where they talk about how they get together. And they say how, like, well, it was bound to happen. Like, are we... Do we really like each other? Are we just connected? I can't even remember how the scene goes in my mind. But it felt like as a... As a kid and future therapist i registered this as oh these people they talk about how they had a shared experience of surviving that and that made them in a way fall in love it's kind of that transfer of arousal yeah and it makes you it made them connected and they're like oh do we are did we do we really love each other or did we just have this thing that we went yeah. through and so i think cr- in order for navy seals to perform the kind of task and have the kind of commitment to this job and do the things that they have to do. They have to have such loyalty and commitment and 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 a, a bond to each other 
that and and trust each other and in order to develop trust for males like not you know because majority of them are males we'll say like and type women can talk and we can be vulnerable and that's how we create bonds men i think often have to go through a shared experience and then once they do they don't ever leave that's why you have like people who are like the guys who've been high school friends forever and they're like so close and they like because it's length of time. I, I talked to my little brother about this, about he's so close with his friends from high school. We talked, we were talking about the reasons for why that is. And what are those, uh, uh, what are the elements of that friendship that, that is like the glue? And he's like, oh, well, the time and shared experiences. And so I think going, and it's not like, you know, always the light experiences, the tough, hard stuff. So I think that is created through that hazing and it sucks, but that is the like the end goal or like what made yeah as a result i was very long-winded yeah and i do see that and Mm -hmm. and in particular what we know that the navy seals do as like their job right is like the whole thing is a design serious biz yeah super dangerous you have to be excellent in every way i get it and like when 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 we read about like what happened when they got um Osama bin Laden i mean that was incredible what they were able to accomplish mm-hmm. and the focus and the uh precision mm-hmm. and the communication like everyone had to be like yeah on the same page and whatever so like you, you i get it but when you read about what they put these guys through and how people die and the mom that i'm so i am in no way supporting it or okaying it yeah or i'm, no, but I'm that's more just mean. highlighting the intention yes and the, maybe the, the the goal of yeah whether it's conscious or or unconscious like how they are are yeah because it feels up. like they've lost their way the the mom yeah. of one of the men who died says <sighs> That's not training. It's not Navy SEALs training. It is torture. And yeah. there is a fine line there of yeah. like, What okay. was it that they were doing? Well, it's over a period of time. I don't know how long they have to do it, but it is just like no sleep. Like they'll work them in the hot sun all day with zero water breaks or breaks of any kind. That's this guy crazy. was vomiting blood for days and they didn't provide medical care and he died and that's that is just and they said excuse me they said that like the the they do have medical professionals but they're so used to seeing all this that they don't even oh my god doesn't even register as because it's all abuse and like oh like, well, this is interesting because it's not even what you're saying, like, let's be clear, isn't even like hazing that's going on separately. This isn't like, oh, this the is the actual program. Yeah. This is like the, not, this is haze, the like, this is the, pro- the Navy SEAL training program. That's a good the, distinction. Yes. Yeah. Because this is not like you know, oh, the older guys are getting the younger guys and they're like kidnapping them in the middle of the night and making them do this. This is like actual part it's of required. the curriculum. Yeah, it's, it's required. And like 
then they were saying, oh, Jesus, they tested the guy that died. They tested him or whatever they found in his belongings, like all the um, performance enhancing drugs, oh, paraphernalia. And they, so the article was talking about, this was in, um, like I said, the New York Times, the article was saying how, because it's so hard, in order mm-hmm. to complete it, you almost have to use um, performance enhancing drugs. So then what happens is everybody that gets in is somebody who thinks the rules don't apply to them. So yeah, uh-huh. they're the quote unquote best, but they did uh-huh. it by cheating, which is not a great group right. of people you want, but you nobody could complete it otherwise without the PEDs. The perf- Why do we need to make it as extreme as it is? Well, and that's what it says. That in the 1980s, about 40% of candidates graduated. And then over the past 25 years, the average dropped to 26%. And in 2021, it was 14%. And in this most recent class, it was less than 10%. This almost feels like they're that they're just upping the. This almost feels like they're turning into the fucking CrossFit Games or something, where they're just like, we're gonna lift more weight and do more things, and the next thing you know, somebody breaks their spine because they're like going pushing with all that. That <sighs> I got to be better than the next guy. That whole mentality seems like it's pushing it into a really dangerous place. Yeah. It's beyond what is physically and mentally, uh, like, oh gosh, you know, that the old Jeff Goldblum, Jurassic park, uh, everybody was, uh, so busy asking if they could, nobody asked if they should. Yeah. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. The classics over here. Yeah, but it's true, and it's like, yeah. Um, if you can't complete it without using performance-enhancing drugs, then there's a design flaw in what you guys are right. doing. Yeah. And so after he died, then they tested everybody, and there were like almost every single person failed the um, performance-enhancing drug test. Because don't you think that should be something we should be testing for if you're going to be putting through them through extreme what yeah. extreme situations that like if you're putting them through things that could put their heart at risk and they're taking a drug that could do something to yeah their cardiovascular their liver, their health heart. Their, this is yeah it's so come messed up on. and I get the intention like you said I get that you they have to be ready yeah. for the worst possible experiences yeah. and stuff. But this ain't it, guys. No, it's not. This ain't it. This ain't it. So anyway, that... that In a time where we have the most technology, the most intel, the most, like, uh, well, I really just like technological advantages at our... Yeah, and advancements at our fingertips. We do not need to be pushing humans to do more than the previous generations of the ones that came before them accomplished in the same roles. Like, come on now. Yeah. It's so troubling. If you read this article, I, maybe Dahlia could put it in the newsletter, which you can sign up for on our website. Because um, it was is, really... feel really uncomfortable and, and scared. Yeah. And it's Because who's correcting these guys? Right. Who's... who's, who's where are the check... Where, who's like... 
Where does the buck stop? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it ain't right. Who's overseeing this? I'll tell you what is right. What is right? Studs. Ah, I got some. Oh, tell hey. them. Guys. Sarah has a new hole in her head. I sure do. Uh, maybe you heard on one of our previous episodes that <laughs> I wanted to uh, rope my BF, shout out to Eli, uh, into piercing my ear. Well, he did, and he did a fantastic job. Which, by the way, and- for most people, if you have a studs um, salon in your area, you should use them because right. they can give you a safe and amazing uh, piercing situation. Yes. Sarah did not have that, so she took matters no. into her own hands. I sure did. Her and her I, I mean, we all wish we had professionals there, but <laughs> I, we, I you like know the, Sarah DIY. You know me, yeah. But this now, is like, what are you going to do? How are you going to decorate them? Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Big plan. I and Eli got just as excited because he was like, "Ooh, let's do the bar. Ooh, no, I know. Let's do the little skull. The, ooh, let's do like the the. Oh, and then he said, "You know what? You really need a triangle right there." Ooh. So he is he has told me that I ha- I need a triangle, little teeny tiny triangle piercing right there, and uh, you know, he's like the oh design, earring. So, you mean yeah. I'm going to, yeah, like a little, a little triangle earring. So I'm going to get a little triangle earring from my new favorite earring place. Yes. Studs is the creator of the earscape so that you can buy these adorable sets or you can buy them individually to put all along your ear. I recently got a new one last uh, winter and they have 250 styles of hoops, huggies, studs, cuffs. Huggies are my favorite. Bang, uh, dangles, and they're so cute. I got, as you saw on Instagram, the mood earring, which is adorable. I didn't see it on Instagram. Oh my see, gosh! This oh, this go is on the weekend. I miss your, I miss your stuff. They're like a mood ring, but for your ear. <sighs> I love this. It's adorable. And then I, I got smiley face. I got the peace sign stud. Oh, cool! I love that one. And I know you have the cowboy boot too. That's cute. They're so cute. Right now, Studs is offering our listeners twenty percent off your first purchase when you go to um, studs.com slash brain candy. Go to studs.com slash brain candy for twenty percent off your first purchase. That's studs.com slash brain candy. They make a great gift. I if you sure have um, any kids too in your life with ear oh. piercings, it's so fun to get. Here's what you also really need to know. These are really great for sensitive ears high quality i yeah turn green with just about everything that i use not here and i sleep in them uh maybe you'll notice i go camping in all of them i take showers with all of them on yeah it's they're the really really nice so yeah check those done. out um our sponsors oh did you read about how the you know how I love the uncontacted peoples? Yes. Oh, yes. Tell me. Okay. I feel like what I was thinking of you when I saw the headline yeah. and then I was like, oh, I know Susie's going to talk to me about this. Yeah. I won't even bother reading the article. I am fascinated by uncontacted tribes. Um, usually they're in like the Amazon and they, they're in the New York Times also. There was um, a story about the last member of this uncontacted tribe has passed away and wow. – I am totally fascinated because if you're not familiar, these are peoples who are indigenous to certain regions and then are uncontacted in the sense that like 
they do not want to know anything about the outside world. They are completely insular and they're afraid or, or at least don't want involved with modernity. And this guy, everyone else in his tribe had died. And so he's the last one left and they called him man of the holes because he, um, like we call him that not his Mm -hmm. tribe. Um, because he dug 10 foot holes all the time and like would put stuff in there. Like, um, I don't, I think they may have been traps like for animals or something. Like he would put like spiky stuff in there. Um, but listen to this when he died, like they suspected it cause they kind of monitor him and he hadn't come out of his hut for a long time. So they went in eventually to see like what's up and he was dead inside there and he was covered in feathers, which led them to believe oh. that he was preparing to die, that he knew that it was, oh. it was coming and that that was part of. Yeah, for sure. Can you imagine the loneliness and the isolation of being the only person in the whole wide world who even knows your language? It's dead now that the language, everything about his culture oh. is gone. Like all those unanswered oh, questions. Oh God, that is it's intense. Right? That is heavy. It's just, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, and when they would try over the decades to like contact them or to say like, we come in peace kind of deal. And they brought corn and and, um, arrows. He was, they said terrified and aggressive. Like he wanted no parts of it. Um, I'm not sure how long he was alone. He was like the last guy. But wow, that was it. That, I mean, you can only imagine the kind of stories that may have been told that create the desire to stay isolated rather than do what is kind of in our, I don't know, like instinct. Yeah, human nature to, to expand. Yes, Sarah, you're so right because I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I'm, I feel it connects because I watched on the New Yorker, they had a short film about what it's like to be in solitary confinement in Uh prison. And, um, the, after 14 days, your brain starts to atrophy, um, because you need contact, (sighs) you need whatever connection. And so maybe that didn't happen because he was surrounded by nature it's different right. in a cell. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. But I would be interested. And, with, and the fact that he gave himself tasks because you have to have a meaning and you have like, and a purpose. And so the fact that he's create like digging, doing that and setting traps, like there's a purpose, but yeah. the, the, it makes me real sad because it feels like we just missed the... Like, it's only recently that it's become more widely accepted that the Amazon and nature holds the real secret to, like, the cure for a lot of the things that are, uh, oh. that ail us. Yeah. And the timeline for the acceptance of uh, 
these more like in this indigenous knowledge yeah and the timeline of the survival of the indigenous people seem to have missed each other by a very very close but very devastating like yeah 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 like party's over man like whatever you want to call it yeah we blew it i feel like right we were so like now i think we recognize when we talk on the show about how like the eyes of the mantis shrimp are able to help us detect cancer cells and how we are how many species we killed in the Amazon or, or, and continue to kill and how we have no idea that like and that thing is teeny teeny tiny and the only thing reason we even know about it is because it makes a really fucking loud noise. So we like looked for it, yeah. you know, and we, who knows what answers we have bulldozed and rolled over and these people hold a lot of this knowledge and these answers and we just like murdered them all and took away their research and like fucked everything up with stupid colonization and stupid like western expansion of, of and and all that kind of capitalism and all the bullshit yeah anyways um speaking of colonization i last night adam and i went to see chris rock oh what we were front row baby how you i don't know how Susie, i forgot to tell you how We've been talking for like four hours. <laughs> Not one time. I am so sorry. Did you think to mention that you went to this and I. <sighs> I know. I'm so How sorry. How was it? Well, I'm so excited to hear about it. Yeah. Well, I've never seen him live. We were front row, but they don't let you, you know, you have to put your phone in the pouch, like no pictures good, or anything. Good. But um, what made me think of it was he did a whole bit about like Meghan Markle and he was critical and I love Meghan Markle. So I was like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. But he was part of what he said was like how, you know, she went on Oprah and she was like, I didn't realize they were going to be so racist. And he was like, really? <laughs> the royal family, the inventors of colonization? You didn't know? Um, so... And in a way, he's probably smart because it's a real, um, I would say it's about half and half in terms of white and black in the audience, at least in Pittsburgh. And so he, like, managed to do both at the same time, like appeal to the um, maybe more conservative or typical white people and then and also to the black community. I don't know. There were parts that made me uncomfortable, but maybe that's the point. Yeah. Um, but it was fascinating because that this is his tour. That's the first one since the slap, the the Oscars slap <gasps> with wow, Will Smith. Susie, yeah. So he talked about that, and oh my gosh, it was really insane. Like, but he's so dim, he's he's diminutive. Like he's small. He's not a big man. I think he's like five nine, maybe, and he's yeah, very very. Most slim. people in Hollywood are small yeah it's weird when you see him like up close and don't people say that about you when they see you no nobody ever says that oh they always say that they go oh i expected you to be taller no nobody says anything about me period they don't (laughs) i always talk about this how like nobody says anything about if like i look nice or ugly or fat or small or big or tall or it's so weird 
I don't know why. I try to analyze it. Because whenever I meet somebody that I've seen like only on TV or something, I'm always struck by... Well, you know what? Now that you say that, they used to say that to me, and they don't anymore. So maybe it has something to do with our age and not (gasps) comment on looks. Is that it? Oh, my god! She's writing notes, guys. Yes. Whenever Susie gets, like, excited about something, I know she picks up her pen and writes down a note. (laughs) Right? Like, maybe we are – maybe it's a good thing because now we're, like, people instead of just objects. Yes. Let's let's say that. We're going to go with that. Yeah. Um, But – in regards to my upcoming comedy thing, it made me feel better. We're only people, not objects, because they're no longer attracted to the which, object that we are. Ah! I'll take it. Because that's okay. when, like, right about 50, I noticed women start not giving a fuck. And there right. are bad parts to that, but there are some good parts, too. Oh, Freedom, yes. man. So yes. maybe that's in the future for us. Who knows? But, yeah. but just when I was watching his act, I was struck by... Um, Jerry Seinfeld's act is like meticulous. Like every word is planned and he works on what is the perfect way to say this joke. And that Mm. freaks me out because um, I'm about to perform and I don't have time to make it that perfect. So it it was like heartening to see him, uh, Chris do it where it's much more like you can tell he's like not precise about the language or the words. Um, and like Kathy, because he's just too. naturally funny. Like yeah. I read an article about Christian Bale said that he had a really difficult time acting with Chris Rock in this new movie Amsterdam because Christian Bale is a method actor yeah. who goes into character, and he's such a Chris Rock fan. And Chris Rock was being so funny in regular, just like in between scenes, he had to come up to him and have a conversation and say. I'm a, such a big fan of yours. We have mutual friends, but I have to ignore you and I can't talk to you. I, like, I can't be this character around you. And the, the director did not hire me to be Christian Bale who thinks Chris, 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 bleh, Chris Rock is funny. He hired me to be whatever the actor's name or character's name is. And I cannot be that if huh. I socialize with you because he's so funny. He said he's never had to do that in any other film. And Chris Rock was that funny that oh, he wow. had to do that. Yeah. Okay. he's naturally just like, so I can see that. It's like more of a casual, but let this be, you are also casually interact, like how you interact, you're yeah. funny in that way, you know? So Jerry maybe needs a little more, I say Jerry, like I know him. Gil needs Jerry. a little more like, like maybe he's not as funny in, in those actual moments. It's more planned or, or yeah. uh, being aware of the scene and then processing it and then reflecting on it rather than being a part of the scene. Yeah. And I had seen on Hulu, there was that series. I mentioned it on here one time, but it was like, uh, I think it was called Culture Shock. And there was an episode about a Chris Rock special. And what I liked is in that episode, they talked about how Chris Rock watched preachers on television, like televangelists. To develop uh-huh. his particular style. And boy, did I see it. I was like, th- I feel like I'm watching a preacher, like a black preacher. And I loved that okay. because I had studied those for my dissertation. So I'm very familiar with like the intonation and the cadence and like how they, the way, the rhythm of what they do. And he uh-huh. really does do that. You feel like you're being yeah. um, persuaded. Here's yes. how you should feel. Yeah. And they said in that episode, like, he makes you feel like if you don't agree with him or you don't think this is funny, you're the problem. 
This is funny, whether you laugh or not. And I could see it. I was like, oh, that's such an interesting way to do it. Like information, yeah. yeah. But anyway, the yeah. colonization thing that. is what made me think of that. It was really fun to see him, but um, super cool. Yeah. So back to the <laughs> uncontacted peoples. Um, yes, yes, yes. It's just really amazing that there are still things on this planet that, like, we know nothing about. Like you said, right. whether it's medicine or cures or just like science, or in this case, like actual entire groups of people and languages mm-hmm. will never know never know that's what that my freaks only you out hope. a little huh it freaks me out but it's my only hope for if there is an afterlife the only thing that makes me excited about oh. that is like if you get to know all the secrets of the universe and you're like oh that's what it's all about because that would oh, be really cool. fun well you know maybe like if there is the idea that we have multiple lives and that we we have like past lives and stuff you have to imagine that 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 wise mind is the culmination of everything we've learned in all of those lives so maybe in one life you were an uncontacted person and you have some deep connection to that and some indigenous like knowledge that Ooh. you felt was stripped away from you and you want it back. And so now you just can't wait to have that opportunity to connect to uh, information that maybe you in one time in your soul's life knew. Maybe. my fasc- That's me just writing fan fiction over here. My fascination with the uncontacted peoples began like, I don't know, 12 or 15 years ago when they found- they got some aerial shots, remember? And that lady... Looked fucking yes. sassy as hell. It was the best in the yeah. whole world. And I was like, Your oh my God. Your jokes about that made me laugh so much. Because it really does make you realize, because she looked like she was pissed and like she was mad at her husband yes. about something. And you just think like, we are all the same. Yeah. She's like, are you kidding? <laughs> it's so You're good. so good, Susie. Um, oh, but this gosh. poor guy, he's all, he was all alone, and now he has gone to his final resting place. They are going to study his body. They took it, and um, they were going to oh. study it, but then they're going to bury it in the forest. Um, and that's the end. With the feathers, please, in some way that, they, that seems. That yeah. is really beautiful about the feathers and him knowing. And you wonder how he knew what... That yeah, was, like, did he know he was sick? Because they said he only was probably 60. They had to guess, but that's what their guess was. <gasps> and they wow. said natural causes. I'm like, what do you mean natural causes? Which ones? Right. Heart attack? He knew it was coming. He got feathers on. <laughs> what was the dis- What was the yeah. natural cause? Yeah. I think my grandma knew when she was going to pass away. Why? I mean, she did it the morning of her 99th birthday. You think that was intentional? She, I, I, I feel like there could have been something in her mind that was like, yeah, just make it to 99. Could have told herself that or make it to 100 or something like that. But it felt like, yeah, it's very peaceful. It was very. Well, because um, I don't know if we like, talk calm week. Oh, the whole week leading up to yeah. it. Yeah, and it was like we knew like three days before as a family. And it was like, yeah, you better, like, let's let's go visit Grandma. Close the book on that. Well, I don't know if yeah. we talked about it on here, but I remember when DM from the challenge w- passed away. And there was mm-hmm. some, I don't know where I read it, but something said 
that like she was waiting. I forget. It was like her sister was like on her way Mm -hmm. to, and she wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure she was there in time. And they kept saying like, she was just holding on for this. And I, I remember asking my husband, like, what does that mean? Like, how do you hold on to your life? And, and he said when his dad died that he was there and that he described it as like the feeling that you have when you're like super tired and like you can kind of like perk yourself up for a second, but then you get real tired again and like you, you can actually hang on. Oh my goodness. Right. Oh, Suze. Like that is so intense. And that is a familiar feeling that we know. We yeah. all know. Like when you're starting to slip away and then you're like, no, 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 I got to stay away. And you just know. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. Because that really made sense to me. makes me think that dreaming and being life is but a dream is, is probably pretty fucking similar. Yeah. Ooh, it is spooky, Ooh. man. Well, it is officially October, so that when this episode comes out, so it's fine. We can be spooky officially. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Let's wind it down, Sarah. I was babbling on for too long. What a good... No, that was a great episode. Good stuff. And we're not even done yet. What do you mean? Oh, right. My God. Thank you. We don't even need to wind it down because I... I know. Yes, that's right. I babbled on too long. Um, We have, as I said, the interview with Ralphie Rodriguez from Menudo. Um, So if you are interested in pop culture or... um, you know, the ways that the system of the entertainment industry can be exploitative. Um, First of all, you should check out the Menudo documentary on HBO, but also um, hear what Ralphie has to say. He was so fun to talk to. Thank you for reminding me, Sarah, and welcome to the show, Ralphie. Oh my gosh, I've done the impossible. I got my buddy Ralphie Rodriguez here. Hey, I'm hey. so honored. I know that I keep saying that to you, but I really am because I was very moved after watching the docuseries about Menudo by your courage and the, the light in your heart. And so I was like, I got to talk to this guy. I got to be friends with him. Do you feel any relief now that like more people have heard this story or is it sort of like re-traumatizing? No, no. I I am so happy to have been part of it, it was, it was really like, it was really tough to decide whether to do it. I was actually the last one to decide to do it. I was literally the last former member to, to record their interview. I yeah. told them, like, listen, Ra-, you know, they said, Ralphie, like, um, you know, we're not trying to pressure you or anything, but you know, you need to sort of tell us by this date. And so I literally was thinking about it, meditating on it, praying about it for months and months and months. And the thing was, it was it was a whole buildup of trust because, you know, we in 1991, we did about seven or eight of us did interviews talking about a lot of these experiences that happened behind the scenes that no one knew about. And I was one of seven or eight that were doing this in 1991. Um, and so 
we had some really great interviews in New York. We had interviews in Puerto Rico on a show called the Carmen Hovet show. And she was very neutral and she was wanting the truth. But then when they invited us, uh, a few of us to go to Miami to the Christina show, um, it was supposed to be me and, and one of the other members and our dads. And then last minute, the other member uh, decided not to go. So it was just me. So what ended up happening was that for a long time, for over 30 years, Susie, um, I became the poster child for the scandal when it wasn't even about me and when I was one of eight. But because that one show went all over Latin America and the other shows did not. And because I was the only one who was there instead of two of us, it was just me. And because um, the the hostess of that show was biased and they were on the other person's side and they were pretending to be neutral, they basically victim shamed me. They sure and did. For 30 years, I had to endure. Well, not endure, but, you know, I had to heal, really. I had to heal from the victim shaming and saying, hey, you know, he just wants money. And as I mentioned in the docuseries, there was no money to be made. Yeah. I had no book to, uh, written. I had no, I was not suing for any money. I was literally there to try and protect the children of the future, these kids, and in particular, and any other kids that were going to pass through the group, because I've always been a lover of the group, despite the management. Yes. And I felt like you were so, you put that so eloquently during the Christina show, you said, you know, I love Minuto, but right. I don't love being abused. Right. And I'm just trying to tell the truth. And it was really hard to watch people willfully be ignorant. They didn't want to hear right. what you had to say, right? You know, and, and it was tough, you know, because it was a different time, too. You were talking about 1991 Latin America, right? Uh, not the same as in the U.S., you know, where children, actor, child actors, they, you know, they have rules right. and, and they have, you know, laws, you know, against how long they can work and things like that. We were basically, like I mentioned in the docuseries, guinea pigs. Yeah. You know, we, our parents have to sign custody over to the management. So we're not, so they're giving guardianship over to a production company of which none of them were parental figures. None of them had kids. None of them were uh, able or willing to raise us and to teach us right from wrong, to teach us our identity as people. As a matter of fact, they wanted us to believe the fantasy that we believe yeah. was you are important because you're in Menudo. Your right. value is 100% attached to us. And if you're not with us and if you're not for us and if you're not in this group, then you're worthless. And, and that was what was basically not said in those terms, but that was, that was the, the effect of what we went through. Well, in the docuseries, it was not clear to me what it was that made you decide it's time to speak up, you specifically, because that right. takes a lot of courage. Right. So it wasn't just me. It was basically Bolivar Arellano, who was the, the guy who was, you know. I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. So he was the guy who owned the Menoliti shop, and he was friends with all of us. He was friends with Edgardo for a while. He was friends with all the ex-Menudos. You know, he was, you know, he, he and his family were friends with us. You know, like, we, you know, they were kind of like. Um, I wouldn't say an extension of the group, but I would say that they were close in the, and they weren't in the outer circle, but very close. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, when he, you know, was talking to certain next Manulas and hearing all the things that were happening and, and he's like, we need to expose this enough is enough. So he basically spearheaded the whole thing. He spoke to all these different next Manulas 
At the same time, the four ex-minutas that were leaving simultaneously, it all coincided with yeah. the departure of the four who decided to leave the group. It was supposed to be five of them, one last minute decided to stay, I guess. I don't know what happened there. But the point is, is that the five of them were going to leave, only four of them left. And it all coincided at the same time where they left. And all of a sudden, it's like enough is enough. So so Bolivar kind of spoke to all the different people. And they said, listen, we're going to go to the press. We're going to do this. Are you willing to speak? And we were like, yes. So that's how it all started. It was basically a group effort. I Honestly, I don't believe that I would have participated if it was just me. Yeah. You know what I mean, I, the reason why I felt the courage to, you know, to speak out is because it was a group effort, right? It was like, no one wants to just stand out on their own. Um, so if it weren't for the support of, hey, you know, there's all these seven other guys doing it too, then I was like, all right, fine, let's do it. We're going to do this. All right, let's do this. Well, it was so impressive. And also your hair on that show is incredible. <laughs> um, and I was so moved by the how heroic by my that hair? was. You're moved by my hair? <laughs> I was moved by your hair and your courage because I you had to have a sense that people did not want to hear this bad news, right? Well, you know, it was I wasn't thinking about anything mm. else, but enough is enough. Yeah. And Enough is enough. You know what I mean? Like this can't continue to go on. Enough is enough. That was the only thing in my mind and in the people that were involved, enough is enough. And so it was like a little Me Too movement. It was just like, you know what? This has to stop. Um, and, you know, I did have, you know, my dad there, which was sort of a shield in a way, which helped me. It was like a support system. So I wasn't all by myself. And obviously, you know, the other side, he had his lawyers and things like that. So he had his shield as well. But I mean, at the end of the day, everyone who went through the group knows the truth. You know, everyone who lived what we lived and the things that were exposed. And, and to, to be quite frank with you, um, it's a really sensitive topic. But I would say that what was seen on video, that's just a half of it. Right. I'm like, sure. it's like it's like and even what people saw is heartbreaking. And it's it's almost like they towed the line like yeah. let's not go too far because i know that a lot of them spoke more things yeah. that, were, that were edited out that i think that that our audience and the menudo family as i call them the fans who have been there forever our family i don't think that they could have taken much more than that right it did it did come across that way that there was a lot that wasn't shared on in the edited final version yeah 100 100 yeah. i mean it was it was not the half of it do you think that edgardo justifies it in his mind and thinks well they should just be grateful because i gave them all this amazing experience or what i'm sure, I'm sure that that's what he thinks but yeah. one of the things that i said in the to the producers in the docuseries and that was not which was not um in there at least these words exactly. I said, listen, you know, and I mentioned, you know, there are a lot of great things that came out of Menudo, but the the good things, the, the bad things of Menudo do not disqualify, the bad things do not disqualify the good, but the good does not justify the bad. Totally. Right? So like as adults, Susie, like as adults, I couldn't I couldn't decipher that before. I couldn't I couldn't process that when I was 14, 15. I couldn't process that when I was 18 and I went on those shows and talked about it in 1991. I couldn't even process it then. But now as an adult, you know, 49 years old now, 
Um, it's like I can process it and I can understand as an adult and we can understand as adults that in, in especially in things that have to do with, with work, there are pros and cons that we can decipher and compartmentalize uh, things yep. and say, all right, so let's say that there's an actor, an actress that they did a movie with, you know, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, with uh, oh, Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein, Weinstein yeah. right? Let's say that they did a, a movie with Harvey Weinstein, right? And let's say that they worked with amazing actors and let's say that they won an Oscar, right? But they had to work with Harvey Weinstein. Okay. Now, what would they say? I mean, I've never been in that situation, but it's a comparison. What might they say? They might say, I loved working with so-and-so. I loved going shooting on location. I'm so grateful to have won the Oscar. Yes. But I didn't like having to work with this person. Yeah. And that's the same exact thing here. There are certain things that I think that are worth saying and other things that are not worth saying that people don't need to know the detail. Yeah. But things that were really hurtful and, and, you know, and so I can take all those negative things, you know, I call it one, for me, it's one third negative, two thirds positive. Yeah. And I can compartmentalize it in three parts and say, I love the magic of Manula. I love being a fan of Manula. I love what it felt like looking at Manula as a fan and the magic and the music and the voices of angels singing mm. and, and, and then being part of that magic myself and then the work and traveling and singing on stage and doing interviews and doing you know, soap opera. And, and I love that. I never, I never um, complained about work because I had all the energy in the world. I mean, I was a hyperactive kid and I had so much energy. I had double the energy I needed to do the work that we did, even though it was so much work, but I had the energy for it. So I never complained about work. I never complained about the magic. I never complained about those things. It was always behind the scenes, the interpersonal relationships. You know, this might sound silly because my co-host and I were just on reality TV. It was nothing like what the fame and whatever that you experienced. But we talk a lot about the things that happen on reality TV that are abusive and mm -hmm. feel exploitative. And I, that was something that I wanted to get through to our listeners with regard to what you had, because... Like I met my husband through reality TV. I got to pay for school. There were so many great things about it. Right. But that doesn't mean that this bad stuff should continue. Right. Like both exactly. things can be true at the same time. Right. No, and that's exactly it. That as adults, we can we can compartmentalize. We yeah. can divide. We can say it's not all good or all bad. It's not all or nothing. It really can't be. It can't be all or nothing. Right. Because because not everything was bad, and so what ends up happening is that if we taint the good with the bad, it's unfair to our experience. Yeah. It's unfair to us because then all of a sudden, am I going to allow these negative things that happened to me to taint the love that I have for my favorite group when I was a kid? Am I going to allow the negative things that happened to me as a child to taint the, the legacy and the work that I did in the group? No, I'm not going to allow that to happen. I can separate those things. Do you feel empowered now that you've been able to, with with some more people, you're not the only person sort of talking about it. Do you right. feel empowered through that? 100%. I mean, yeah. it was 13 out of 30 members that are still alive, right? Because two of them passed away, unfortunately. So we have, out of 32 members that were in Menudo, there are 30 living, right? Yeah. And out of those 30, 13 were on the docu-series, almost half of the of the 30 that are left almost half of them were on the series, on the docu-series. 
so that that speaks you know that speaks a lot to you know the the unity of the truth uh you know that that the truth is spoken in numbers uh that there's strength in numbers and and yeah i mean of course i've watched the thing five times and the reason why I watched it five times is because they did such a good job at editing yeah. and, and bringing like the truth of, of the spirit of what it was like to be in the group, the good and the not so good that it, it's not like it, when you watch it for us, it's not foreign. You know what I mean? It's like sometimes like, you know what I mean? Someone might do a docuseries on a group and it's like, that's not what it was like. Or, you know, they, they do something that's like, that's not what it feels like. Or that person wasn't really like that. Or we weren't like that. It was like it, it was as close as you could get to the truth. And um, it was just done so well. And the editing is done in such a way that even though I know what is going to happen, the editing and the cuts and the everything is so well done that I don't remember, like, when things are going to happen. So there's always an element of freshness to it. Because yeah. like, I know what's going to happen. But when's it going to happen? You know, it's like, so it's like kind of like this element of surprise every time, you know? Does it feel healing to watch it? 100%. 100%. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's healing. You know, it, was, it, it is healing. It is, you know, cathartic, if that's the word. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's just been really good. And then every time that I watched it, it's, I've gotten something new out of it and just like little details and different things. And when I was going through it, actually, when I was going through the eight hours of interview, um, you know, there was a lot of self-discovery and things that sort of like were buried that all of a sudden started yeah. was like, oh my gosh, like I had forgotten that. But they asked me specific questions that caused these thoughts that went into these compartments in my mind and my memory Whoa. that opened up doors. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had forgotten that. That must have been oh. draining though, like emotionally. Yeah, no, it really was. It was really difficult. But at the end of the day, as you could tell, um, in the in the in the series. You know, I had a lot of peace. I had a lot of peace. I had a lot of, um, you know, when you're when you're speaking your truth, you know, there is yeah. there's an element of peace and of release mm -hmm. that does bring like take sort of a weight off your shoulders. You know, I was struck too by you and Andy and Ash. Yeah, um, like they the, were amazing. They were so. I mean, good. Andy. Well, they were both amazing. They're all amazing. They but, were. Like, but in particular, like Ash, and then in particular, particular Andy. Yeah. Because Andy was like the last person, and just like the way he said things, yeah. it was like so real, and it was yeah. like so. I mean, all of us were, but like the way that he was just such a great exclamation point. Yes, it felt very self assured, but also there was the underlying joy that I felt that was so hopeful, because right. you had experienced difficulties, but I felt like you guys were all like united and it seemed so beautiful and accepted each other i don't know right. man it was great yeah they intertwined i mean the the production company and the editor they intertwined the story so perfectly. Yes. Like it just went from you know one person's talking about something and then they would like go into the other person talking about the same exact thing and and they just did such a great job at presenting you know our story it was just so well done you know how you said there was like 30 years where you were sort of the figurehead of speaking out about it was there a point at all where you were like i wish i hadn't done it it was not worth it you know i struggled not only say i struggled but i thought about this for a really long time i mean i had a lot of time to think about it yeah right <laughs> you know um and i would say that you know in the beginning there was regret because yeah. there was some there was a sort of like a backstabbing that happened 
with going to that show, especially when you go to the press in New York and you do print, right? And they just want to know the truth. And then you go to Puerto Rico and they're neutral and they invite the other side. They don't want to go there because it's neutral, right? So then they don't go there. Everyone else is speaking their truth. He doesn't want to come mm-hmm. and they don't want to come. And then they get Bolivar arrested and they do all this stuff because he had so much power in Puerto Rico. He was so well connected with the government, with the officials, with, you know, the, the secretary of state through his attorney. It was, you know, all, all these connections. And so they were like inviting us, sue us, sue us, because they knew that they were so well connected that nothing would ever happen to them. So they actually did things and they exposed this in the docuseries where, I mean, if they try to do that today, what they did, arresting somebody, especially someone from the press for speaking out and going to a TV station and arresting them on TV. I mean, the connections that you have to have to pull that off to yeah. get the police to do something that is not even legal is crazy. Well, that was something that struck me too, is I hope people connected the dots that it's never just like one guy. It's a system and a bunch of people that prop each other up and protect each other to facilitate stuff like this to happen. Right. And so, and so like, so you asked about regret, right? So the reason I'm just giving a little quick backstory, because, you know, going to New York and doing something neutral, going to Puerto Rico and doing something neutral, but then going to Miami and then going to somewhere that's not neutral, a place that is where the host is friends with Igardo, where she's trying to make it seem like everything is neutral, but then at the end, she tops off the whole thing with saying, this is all about money. She's in money. So then all of a sudden, and then Andy says, which is amazing. He says- It was amazing. It, yeah, so he goes, and guess what? You know, shortly after the show, in in comes Christina to my house with all the guys there in a Rolls Royce, hanging out with us, hanging out with Edgardo. Yeah. So like, and first of all, I never knew that, so it's crazy. You so, did not? I didn't know that until until this whole thing happened. I didn't know that. How, how would I know that? It wasn't until he exposed it that all of a sudden everyone's like, well, obviously we knew that she was, that she was biased. Yeah. But when he was able to communicate that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's proof yes. that she was biased because she's hanging out with the dude. Yeah. When Andy said that, I just about fell off the couch because it was just like the fix was in. Right. It was never meant to be neutral. Right. Or, so, so that yeah. was the whole thing. So going back and finishing the thought, I'm sorry for, for taking no, so long. Sorry. But going back to, to, um, to regret. So after going to that show and being backstabbed, right, by the host, because thinking that it's neutral and it's not. So, yeah, in the beginning, I was like, you know, I did regret it in the beginning. But then I had to really think through the years. I had to think, would I have really done it despite the shaming, the the victim shaming, despite the lies, despite the betrayal from the host? Despite all that, and then, and my answer has been for years now, I would have, I still would have done it um, despite all that. I mean, you can't go back, right? But I still, if I could do it over again, I would still do it because it was never about me. It was never about money. It was never about anything because by me doing that and by the guys doing it in Puerto Rico and, and, and us doing the interviews in New York, it brought a spotlight whether people believed me or not during the show, even if it was 50% believed me and 50% didn't, even despite the betrayal from the host, it put a spotlight on him. Mm-hmm. And so even though there are people that, that didn't believe it or they were doubtful, now all of a sudden there was a magnifying glass on him. So if he wanted to do things, 
he had to do it a lot more carefully. Yeah. And, and, and it helped them. And I've talked to Ash because he's one of my best friends. I've talked to Andy. He's a good friend. And he's also one of my closest friends and we're brothers. And uh, we've talked about all this after the fact. And they both say, thank you. Thank you that, that, you know, things could have been so much worse for us. If he hadn't done that, thank you that, you know, you put the spotlight on him because when they started seeing all these things happen, they're like, thank God that what you said was in the back of our minds so that we could be aware and we didn't go in there blindly. Yes. Well, so it feels like it took a long time, but now you're being appreciated more. Oh yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting like messages on, on social media. Thank you so much for your courage when you were younger, even when you were younger and and confronting that, that person and and all this stuff. And and some of them say, I always believed you. Some of them say, I'm sorry. I didn't believe you and apologizing to me for not believing me. So yeah, it, it is a sense of redemption. And, and I'm so glad that I did it because even though I really didn't want to do it, uh, because I told him, listen, I don't want to be a rerun onto myself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I already said what I wanted to say. It's their turn to talk. But the fact that I was able to sort of let people know the, the new me, to let people know where I am today, that I'm a girl dad, that I'm a, that I have peace, that I've forgiven them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that to me is worth everything, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I don't regret. And, and those producers, you know, um, and, and Manuel Soto, you know, um, and Alex Fumero, um, you know, Christopher Rios, you know, Enrique uh, Rivera, all those guys and all the people of the production, they kept their word. Yeah. You know, it was kind of, you know, like, you know, you never know. Like into another betrayal again. And, yeah. and it was like they they kept their word and they spoke the truth and they were neutral and they 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 did the right thing yeah because if you're not the producer you have to take a leap of faith and hope they'll tell the truth and, and tell especially the truth. edit you know what i mean yeah. like they, you know what i mean like what's the edit gonna look like? believe me i know i feel it i know um, you know you yeah, know i know it's Dan you Adderley. definitely know um what did you feel would be justice though because there is a bittersweet element where it feels like he didn't get I don't know, his just desserts kind of. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, I'm very spiritual and, yeah. and, you know, I believe in divine justice. So even if there is no justice on the earth in this life, you know, I believe that there will be justice, okay. you know, eventually. Um, there's also social justice, you know, and I think that we are, we're getting social justice here because the truth has come out. People will know. Unfortunately, it's only on HBO Max. I mean, if it was on Netflix, it would reach more audience. Um, and, and, and kudos to HBO Max. I mean, they're amazing. Love them. Uh, want to work with them again. But I mean, the reason why I mention this is because, you know, there are countries where they don't have HBO Max and they're not gonna be able to find out. Yeah. And, you know, we live in a big world, even though it's not big, but it's big. And so, you know, Latin America find out, found out. The U.S. found out. Europe found out. You know, uh, but it's not in the Philippines. And we had a big uh, we have a big following in the Philippines. It's I don't know if it's played in Japan. So, you know, I hope that one day this docuseries will reach other places in the country where the whole world will find out. Yeah, I could. I hear what you're saying, because it feels maybe a little bit incomplete, like everyone ought to know. But yeah, but I mean, at least in the main places where Menudo is known, it's it's there. So. Yeah, and for a lot of people in the U.S., we knew about Menudo, but we didn't know the details. Right. And so this was really shocking 
Honest yeah. to God, I had just watched a different documentary that was like real dark and sad, and I was like, which, oh, one? Which, one? "Which one? Which one?" It was the one about the Boy Scout sexual abuse. Oh wow! It's called Leave No Trace, and I was like, right. "I need something light. I'll watch the Minuto." Let's watch something happy. <laughs> I was like, "What is happening?" No, but you know what? I mean, but listen, um, I think that they did it really tastefully. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. I don't believe that it was done to. First of all, I I know that it wasn't done to um, diminish the the shine or the legacy of no. If anything, it is created, and, and I can speak, you know, firsthand, it is created within the Menudo family, the, the followers of Menudo and, and everyone who loves Menudo, it has created a greater appreciation for us because yeah. they're, they're saying things like, thank you so much for bringing us joy despite what yeah. you have to go through. Yeah. So it hasn't diminished the love yeah. Or the or the or the legacy of Menudo. It's just brought to to light the truth of what it was like for us. Yeah, I think that is such a blessing because it is healing, and yeah. you guys deserve so much credit. My God, the talent! I mean, you well, guys you know, are I, awesome. Yeah. I mean, I will get. You know, you have to give credit where credit is due. I mean, we can't say only negative things about Edgardo. Um, I think that you know, obviously, he was somewhat of a, a, a visionary, a genius in, in certain aspects in the sense that he knew what the public wanted. Yeah. He knew what that, what that, um, what that sec- section, you know, in that age group wanted. Um, mm-hmm. He picked, he handpicked a really good team, Joselo and the songwriters, especially 1980, 81, where they went with the, the Spanish um, composers, um, Carlos Villa and Alejandro Monroy were the ones that uh, wrote, they're from Spain, they're musical geniuses. They're the ones who wrote most of the hits of the, you know, the golden era of Menudo. So they handpicked, he handpicked those people really well. He handpicked, you know, Joselo and the choreographer and all these things. And, you know, he was the mastermind behind it. So we have to give him credit for that part. But again, the, the, the thing that he has done forever, the thing that he's always done, uh, even though we have to give him credit for that, the thing that he's always done, and he's shielded himself with that. Mm-hmm. That's you know right. I mean? Because it's like, how could a person, you know, how could a person who created this amazing band that everyone loves ever do anything wrong? And it's kind of like that has nothing to do. One has nothing to do with the other. You could be a genius, and you could be a mastermind, and you can do be a great businessman, and that does not make you a moral person. No, I mean that's what we learned with Harvey Weinstein and so many others, where they're talented, but that's part of why they got away with it for so long is that they ha- they were making tons of money and they offered something of value to people but right and the thing is is that what he has done he's done that he's done that time and time again mm-hmm. is that he goes to his resume his right. work resume to try and 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 shield his um his personal life okay. i have nothing personally against him you know what i mean i could say with all honesty that even though we need to speak the truth of what happened 30 years ago. I don't know him now. I don't know yeah. who he is today. I haven't heard of any changes though. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know, I'm not the same person that I was 30 years ago or 35 years ago. So I don't necessarily expect him or anybody else to be the same person they were 30 or 40 years ago, but I haven't heard of any changes. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, I don't hate the person. I don't hate anybody. I've forgiven him and anybody else who has offended me or hurt me, my father and every, anybody else. Because at the end of the day, like I said in the docuseries, forgiveness is more for me than it is for the other person. Because if I can't forgive, 
then I'm the one who's, you know, in bondage. To that. I'm the one who has bitterness in my heart. I'm the one who can't move forward. I'm the one who's hurting. It doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts us, right? right? So at the end of the day, I forgive for me first and then second for them. Yeah. It's a really beautiful thing, what you've shown. And it is very moving and inspiring. And it was so heartening to see that so many of you are still involved in music and it hasn't tarnished your love for the magic of music. Yeah. You want to hear that song or what? Do it. Serenade I'm lucky. I don't know how much time we have. But... I know. We'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up. All right. Is there any other question while I, while I get yes, this? Yes. The last question that we ask everybody, um, if you have a car, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's probably usually like uh work paperwork and sports stuff. So it's either golf clubs or I play pickleball. Not because oh I'm gosh. old, but I love pickleball. Actually, um I'm like a, a I'm like a so far I'm like a 4.0. Uh, I've only been playing for four months, but I have a tennis, I have a background in tennis. So like, uh, you know, so right now I, I take classes, I take lessons, you know, I'm in a pickleball group. You are I kidding take- me. I just said on the show, like, I think I'm going to hate pickleball. And my co-host was like, why? And I'm like, I don't like the name. I don't like the name either, but the great, the great, the, 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 the game is amazing. It's so fun. Oh my gosh. Okay. You're going to play now. No. It's, it's, you know, just so you know, and for the for the listeners out there who might love or hate pickleball, um, I will say, I will say that um, I will say that even though a lot of people are knowing, you know, like oh, that's for old people. It's not because the top players, like the top player in the world, Ben Johns is twenty two years old. A lot of the top players in the world are even teenagers, 14, 15 years old, 19 years old. Oh, my God. They have major league pickleball now. So the most of the pros in pickleball, they're, they're former uh, college tennis players. This is bonkers. So they, they transition into professional pickleball. You know, they have a big, I mean, a very small learning curve for them. And they're just amazing. So I'm looking to be, you know, I'm looking to be at least a 5-0, you know, like to be like, a, you know, top in the amateur level. My and, God. Uh, it's just a, it's just a my sports passion. You're a real renaissance man. I love it. And reality TV, which we need to talk about. I know. We're going to get him in reality TV. It's going to happen. What are you going to play me? So I'm going to sing him a new song for you, actually. My it's God. A- this is so exciting. <laughs> so, um... Um, let me see if, um... You're on my mind. And I'm wondering why I love you so. Ooh, deep inside I know I should let you go. Once again, the pain, the tears. All my friends say I'm a fool, I'm blind. But I don't mind. If I had to start again. I would love you all over again. All I want to ask of you, please be good to me. Don't sorry. Don't let me cry anymore. Hold me like you did before. Just a little means so much. Please be good to me. Cause in spite of all the pain, 
so much for serenading me and for chatting with me and for being my new friend yes you're so amazing thank you for your courage you're uh, a hero well you know not so much i think i think it's been a group effort you know it's not one person it's (laughs) it's all of us together and 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 you're humble no but it's true it's really true you know it's like um i think that every voice counts but i think that in unity it really it's powerful, you know, it's powerful in unity. It's not the same thing for one person to say something than for 13 people to say it. Yes, well, well done. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.